Good morning, church. It is so great to see you today. I'd like to begin with this statement. See if you agree. See if you agree. There are some things in life that just don't make sense. You on board with me on that? There are some things in life that just don't make sense. You probably have your own list, uh, but I'd like to share just one of the many things that I have on my list. A number of years ago in a city far away, my son and I went to a store. It was the store of the cell phone provider of the phone that I had. We went there because I had a malfunction with my phone and I needed some help. My expectations were fairly high because I, um, I have been a long-standing customer, um, always paying my bills on time. And so I walked in with high expectations. I walked in and I was greeted by an individual, a man with a big smile on his face and he held out his hand and said, how can I help you, sir? And I thought to myself, word must have gotten out on how good of a customer I am. This is going quite well. Then I told him why, why I was there uh, and his countenance dropped and he said, you're in the wrong room, sir. You belong in that room over there. He didn't even take me, he just pointed. I walked over to that other room and there was a line 25 people deep of other existing customers who pay their bills on time waiting to get a little bit of help. That room apparently filled with five happy smiling representatives was only for new customers. And I have to tell you that just doesn't make sense to me. Can I get an amen? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. Except the person, the subject in question is not our cell phone provider, but rather God himself. Jonah today is going to simply say to us, God, your actions don't make any sense to me. And maybe you have felt that way a time or two. Before we dive into the final chapter of the book of Jonah, chapter 4, I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles, your smartphones, if they work, and your iPads, if they have Bible apps on them, hold them high over your head, and let's uh, say the prayer we've been saying uh, during this series of Jonah. You ready? Dear God, we study your word to know you, the truth, and to find direction for our daily lives. Give us the guts to follow your will the first time, so we can avoid living in the gut of a really big fish. Amen. I love that prayer. Open your Bibles to Jonah, Old Testament book, chapter 4, and I'll want to begin reading in verses 1 through 3. Jonah 4. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Is this, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah, dude, take your meds. Jonah and the Israelites felt that they were long-time, loyal customers to God. 1,650 years and counting, 
Maybe a little stretch on the word loyal, but that's how they felt. To them, God should focus all of his energies on making them happy. A retention plan, if you would. However, God is wanting to offer the same exact deal to the Ninevites. A new customer, if you will, who up to this point in time has been worshiping the competition. And to add insult to injury, God is inviting Jonah to go to the other room with a smile on his face and extend his hands to the Ninevite and say, how may I help you? Is anybody feeling Jonah today in the house? Is anybody feeling Jonah today in the house? He is loathing the idea. And who could blame him? The Assyrian people were ruthless people. Listen to what one historian wrote about them. Nineveh was a, was a notorious sanctuary of savagery. Consider what one Assyrian king did to his defeated foes. Quote, 3,000 captives I've burned with fire. Their corpses I've formed into pillars. Their governors i flayed. His skin I spread upon the wall of the city. From some I cut off their hands and their fingers and their noses. And many I put out their eyes. I formed a pillar of heads against his city gate. And 700 men I impaled on stakes the only deal they deserved was annihilation complete destruction and you know what God agreed justice had to be served but with God's sovereign right and God's sovereign plan he wanted to offer these evil people one more opportunity to change and who would have thunk it they did they made a, made a complete turn and God relented on his plan of destruction and he spared them and it angered Jonah to no end because God showed compassion toward them. Now why was Jonah so upset? Ponder that. I came up with three possible reasons. Number one, Jonah is a selfish man. If you will study chapter 4, you will notice the use of I, me, and my just nine times in this prayer in conversation with God alone. Jonah liked the idea of God showing him compassion in the belly of the fish, but he resented and despised offering God offering it up to anyone else, particularly the Ninevites. Why? Because Jonah deemed himself more worthy of God's compassion. And that leads me to principle two. Jonah is prejudiced. He flat out doesn't like the Ninevites, and they're not easy to like. Reason number three, Jonah is filled with pride. I don't think he wanted to head back home to Israel, a place where he was a popular prophet when he left, coming back and giving the news that he was the one who preached the message that caused Nineveh to turn, and God relented from destruction. Great job, Jonah. It would be like, help me here, it would be like an American going overseas and trapping Osama bin Laden and before you take him in or take his life you simply say are you sorry promise not to do it again okay you're free to go can you imagine coming back home with that story that's how Jonah felt about going back home to Israel God did not give him a good story of a heroine 
but rather a story of embarrassment. I want you to look at verse 4. Jonah says that he is angry and he would rather die. He would rather die than to live. Jonah just better be glad and thankful I'm not God because I would have said back to him, you want to die? That can be arranged. But in verse 4, God instead questions Jonah. Is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for you to be angry? Many times God's answer to us, including in the teaching of Jesus when he was on this earth, many times his answer back to us comes in the form of a question. Pay attention to the question that God asked. Pay attention to the question that Jesus asked because buried in the question is the answer. But Jonah apparently had no mood to respond to God. In verse 5, it tells us that he simply goes to the east side of the city to watch God to see what might happen. For 40 days, he waits to see if it is possible that God might turn his mind and actually destroy the city of Nineveh. He's in no hurry to go home, so he stands out, sits out at the east side of the city under the scorching sun. Now, Jonah could have stayed in the king's palace over the last 40 days because they were wild and crazy about Jonah, but he wanted no part of Nineveh. He wanted no part of this story. Instead, he sits in the hot sun. Can you imagine sitting in the sun of San Antonio with no rain for 40 days out in the middle of nowhere and no sunblock? Now feast your eyes on verse 6. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort and Jonah was very happy about the plant. You notice the extreme swings in mood for Jonah. Now he's very happy. It's all about Jonah. And as long as God makes it all about Jonah, God's existing customer, he is really happy. And I think this is not too far off from many American Christians today and how we feel about our relationship with God. God, as long as you make it about me, I will be happy with you. But a sudden shift takes place the next morning. As we have seen in the previous chapters where God commands the water and the skies and the fish and a seed to grow up overnight to provide shade for a whole human man, God now calls a worm or a weevil to eat the plant and cause it to instantaneously wither. I make the observation that a worm in this story is better at obeying God than Jonah. I'd like to make another observation from the book of Jonah. If heaven were a place for people who have earned it based upon their good works, there would be more fish and worms in heaven than people. It's true. The plant dies, and to make matters worse, God calls a scorching east wind to blow into the face of Jonah and it's just beaming down on him. Look at verse 8 and excuse me for laughing. Jonah wanted to die and he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. What a whiner. <laughs> I love the story of Jonah I told someone after the last service because Jonah doesn't make me look so pitiful. In verse 9, God engages 
or re-engages Jonah with a little Q&A. This time, he takes the story down into the lower story where Jonah lives. And he says, Do you have a right to be angry about the vine? Now I ask, what would you say if God Almighty asked you a question and you knew it was rhetorical? What would you say? This is the God that you work for. This is the same God who put you in the belly of a fish for three days. He's the one who spit you out of the fish three days later to live to tell the story. What would you say? I'm not a perfect individual, but I can promise you, I would say, no, sir, I do not have any right, I guess, to be angry about the vine, but not Jonah. Audacious Jonah said, why, yes, I do. I am angry enough to die. Have you ever been that angry? Just die? I mean, that's pretty angry. Here he is with this whole dying theme again. Give it up already, Jonah. Let's take a look at God's response in verse 10 and verse 11. And then let's talk a little bit about what this means to us today. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? Let me ask you a question. Have there been times when God hasn't made sense to you? Maybe that time is right now. Maybe it's in the bigger picture of the world. I mean, this is Memorial Day weekend where we acknowledge all the men and women who have died in service to our country. And unless I missed my guess, many of those men and women were very young. Did God cause these wars? Could God have intervened? Did he intervene? Does it make sense? Maybe it's in your personal life with a job or with a relationship or with your health. 23 years ago, we had a son, our second child, born without a left hand. And I remember asking God, God, was this random? Or were you at control center that day? Why? And the most personal question for us was, why us? It didn't make sense. Well, let me offer you and me three things to consider that we can learn from the story of Jonah. You might want to write them down. When God doesn't make sense to you, trust that our linear perspective from the lower story doesn't tell the whole story. Isaiah 55, 9. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. I tried all week to come up with an analogy that would enable us to see how we are forced to look at life from one perspective and how God has a totally different perspective. And I wanted to give you a sense of how God sees it versus us. And so I came up with this idea of using a shoebox, and unfortunately I had to buy a brand new pair of shoes to get the box, and someone had to do it. I want you to picture this box from the beginning to end to be the journey of a life. 
And inside the box, I have placed all kinds of obstacles and barriers, things that one encounters in life. Now, I want you to envision that I have placed a small ant at the very beginning of their life, and their life will be journeying through this box to get to the other end. Now, I want you to take a look at this box if we cut out the side and see the perspective of how we have to live our lives. We are forced to live lives horizontally and linearly. We have to take our steps this way. But we don't know what's on the other side or around the bend. We have no idea of what's coming, so we just have to keep taking a step. But for us, see, unlike the ant, we're able to see the whole box and the whole big picture from above, perched high above. And we're able to see what's coming next and where the end is. Now it's one thing if I'm able to just simply observe the life of the ant going through this box. It's another thing altogether if I care about the ant. It's another thing altogether if I love the ant and I want the best for the ant. It's another thing altogether if I want to be in a relationship with this ant. And as a result, I'm going to intervene on their behalf. You see, I see that coming down here is going to be tragedy if they go to the right. And so I'm going to put an obstacle in their way right now that's going to create discomfort for them, but it's going to ultimately force them to go to the left. And at the time, they're going to be angry at me because I brought this discomfort in their life, but one day soon they'll understand that I did it to prevent them from going right. But if they had understood me, if they, had, if they knew me and the kind of love and care that I have for them, they would trust me. But a common mistake that the ant makes in the shoebox is they can't see what's coming next. But if we were to trust God, that he sees the bigger picture, and he is in deeply in love with us, then it would make the difference. Albert Einstein was questioning some of his brightest students about the existence of God and whether or not he did exist. And he asked this provocative question. What percent of the total knowledge of the universe do you suppose we possess? Good question. They gave a a variety of answers estimating about 2%. The old physicist replied, I think your guesses are high, but I'll accept that figure of 2%. Now, tell me, what are the chances that God exists in the other 98%? That's good, folks. Even the smartest of our people only possess 2% of the possible knowledge that's available. Is it possible that God exists in the 98% we do not possess? Principle number two, when God doesn't make sense to you, trust that God will make things right in his time. Jonah's story and the book of Jonah ends abruptly. Very few books in the Bible just sort of end with sort of an odd ending to them, but this is not the end of the story. Let me tell you the rest of the story because Jonah doesn't have the half of it, and he unwisely judges God as though he were a God, even though his limited knowledge in the shoebox doesn't give him the right. But he does it anyhow. The book of Jonah finishes, and Jonah believes his mission was a total failure. That's his viewpoint from the shoebox, but it's insufficient, and we often do the exact same thing. We judge too soon. Here's how the story unfolds. 
At the beginning of the story, God was going to wipe out the Assyrians for their years of evil. It was the right and the just thing to do coming from God. He could have done this without sending Jonah. He would have been right in doing it, but he sends Jonah because in his divine plan, he has an idea of how he wants the story to unfold. So he sends Jonah, and who would have ever thought, but they repent. And as a result, God relents and he spares them. Pay careful attention if you don't know how the story unfolds. So instead of the Assyrians being wiped out, this nation gets stronger and stronger by God's grace. And 30 years later, in the divine plan of God, viewing down from the shoebox of Israel, he uses the Assyrian nation to go down to Israel and to punish and discipline them for their years of disobedience to God. But the contrast here is pretty outstanding because the Israelites from the, the beginning of the entrance into the land for 724 years had the clear teaching of the word of God about what they were to do and who God was. They had all these experiences of God's love and intervention in their life. They had all of these prophets speaking messages of warning to them and they would not turn and it was time for discipline to come upon them where the Ninevites who neither knew God nor grew up with God hear the message one time and they turn this is ironic isn't it that God's divine plan was to spare the Assyrians who then in turn would come down and God would act justly toward the Israelites that's not how they saw themselves but that's the truth about their story Interesting, Assyria, as you'll see, did not sustain their belief in God. There was a remnant who continued to worship God, and we talked about them last week, but the whole nation turned back again to worshiping other gods. However, history tells us that they did not immediately return to the brutal tactics that we talked about earlier. There was no skinning people alive, no impaling, no beheadings or other atrocities, just common experiences in warfare. God didn't want to exterminate Israel. He just wanted to justly punish them. And Jonah's sermon and trip to Nineveh 30 years earlier, reluctant as it was, was able to bring this about. God needed to show justice toward Israel, but he wanted to do it in a gracious way. And Jonah's sermon caused them to back down on the extent of their evil practices. At the time, Jonah thought his mission was a failure, a common mistake from the shoebox point of view. But 30 years later, it all made sense. But the story doesn't end there. Listen to this. Another 100 years or so later, the year is 612 B.C., God would ultimately bring judgment on the Assyrian people now that his plan was complete by raising up another empire called the Babylonians not to wipe them out, but to overtake them. If you're interested in that story, read the minor prophet Nahum. The point for us, trust God to do his job and to make things right in his time, not yours not mine. This job is way above our pay grade. Let it go. The Bible says over and over again, I will repay, says the Lord. Wouldn't you love it? It had your name in there. Randy will repay, says the Lord. Doesn't say that. 
It gives us the opportunity to live a life free of bitterness and free of revenge and anger toward God, others, or just life in general. It gives us the opportunity to relax and trust God to make things right in His time. And folks, He is utterly just and He's got nothing that He won't bring to justice in His time. Wait, O oh shoe box dweller. Final principle. When God doesn't make sense, trust His grace and love are great and applies to all people, including us. Last week, a lady came and talked to me after one of the services. She's from Puerto Rico, and she came to San Antonio with some other folks to train uh, to be a judge back in, the, uh, uh, back in Puerto Rico. And she went through the training, and the job openings came up, and all of her colleagues got a job as judge, but she got passed. And she said she felt humiliated, and she felt anger, and she felt confusion that her other colleagues got the job, and yet she was stuck here in San Antonio. But listen to this. Someone invited her in this space in between to Oak Hills Church. And from that experience, she has become a Christian. And the reason she was in line is because she wants to be baptized. And the reason it's urgent for her, because the job now has come open again, and she has received the job as judge in Puerto Rico, but now, instead of going back just as judge, she goes back as judge and possessor of eternal life. Eternal life. Do not judge too soon, O shoebox dweller. You know, this also has great application for us in the mission that God has us on, because there are all kinds of other ants in the shoebox with us. Some look and act very different from us. Some live far away and are suffering more than us, and it's easy to forget about them because we can't see them on the other hill. But here's what we know for sure. God loves them all equally and wants to be in a relationship with them. But not only that, He wants His existing followers, existing customers, if you would, to partner with Him to be the hands and feet of Jesus to them, potential new customers. Yes, he wants us to go over into the other room with a smile on our face and to extend our hand to the new person walking in and saying, how can I help you in Jesus' name? That certainly gives us great application for what has happened this week in Joplin, Missouri and the mission that God has given us as a church, not just to recite but to actually act on. If you know it, say it with me. We are the body of Christ, called to be Jesus in every neighborhood in San Antonio and beyond. Joplin, Missouri is a part of our beyond. On Monday, these people woke to devastation of a tornado. On Tuesday, I huddled with some of my staff to organize a response. It's not a question of will we, it's a question of how will we go about it? Because we've already received the call. We don't need to pray about it. Whether we're going to do it, we just need to pray, God, what should we do? On Wednesday, one of our members called us and offered up his two semi-trucks. Who has two 18-wheelers sitting around? <laughs> pray tell me. But we have people in our congregation who do, and they're gracious to offer it up to us. And so the plan began to develop. On Thursday, a pilot 
donated his plane and his time to take a couple of our members uh, on the ground with special clearance into Joplin to discover from the people what the needs were. I got a text from them while they were flying over the area, and it simply read, Oh my God. On Fridays, emails went out to the congregation, and our members of our congregation sent it out to their neighbors who go to other churches because we are the body of Christ partnering together to begin collecting items that these people need right now. We heard it from their own lips. That same day, a man from Dallas heard about what we were doing and wanted to come alongside of the Oak Hills Church. And so right now, there are two additional semi-trucks filled with water and diapers right now making their way to San Antonio to join our convoy on Monday. Here's what this a group of people need right now. They're going to have other needs in the future, but right now they need water, diapers, hygiene items like toothbrush, toothpaste, pillows, and blankets. And on Monday morning, these four filled semis, based on your faith, will leave for Joplin, Missouri, as we partner with Forest Park Baptist Church, a church who had 60 families in their congregation alone who have lost everything, and two of their members have lost their life. I want you to take a look at some of the footage we caught while our team was there. had said to him, I don't like the looks of that, and he said, I don't either. We were going to jump underneath of our storm cellar. We have a, well, a crawl space under the house, and my husband said, Colby won't be able to do that. So he's our special needs child. He's autistic, and there's a lot of things that kind of is hard for him, and you have to work around. We said he won't be able to get underneath there. It's too dirty. And so we decided to give him the closet, but, you know, if you're able to see the back of our house, it's crashed in. We would have been killed if we had been underneath. The closet that we were in was about a three by five closet full of clothes and shoes so we were really packed inside there and um, we um, when, when I when I got in the closet we shut the door my wife and I both were holding on to that door and, and we were not going to let go of that door uh, no matter what it took the walls went we weren't going to let go of that door once we felt the house lift and I was hearing the windows crashing and breaking in. I could hear things. I, you know, there was moments that I thought, this is it. This is what I have left with, with my kids. I have them right here with me. That's, and that's why I started singing. And the first one that came to mind was Amazing Grace. And we just, my daughter chimed in and she started singing and we were praying. And I just, 
you know, I said, Lord, one thing I did pray was, Lord, if you're going to take one of us, take us all. And because I wanted to survive with my whole family. Saturday afternoon, I graduated from college. Um, going to be a kindergarten teacher in the fall. So uh, that evening we had his family, my family over and we had um, a barbecue and it was just a really good night. We just celebrated with our friends and um, Jared had just bought me a new car that day. So we just, you know, we're living it up that day. It was probably a perfect day, I would say. I heard that there was a tornado at 7th and Schiffenducka, which is just a couple miles away. And at that time I said, let's just get under the house just to be safe. Um, and we went outside, got around to underneath the house. And uh, we were under there, the house for, a, for about 15 seconds before it all hit. And uh, it, it was loud. I, I didn't have any idea of the damage that, that there was. It just sounded very loud. It sounded like basketballs hitting the house. Um, just kind of mind-blowing whenever I, I opened up the underneath of the house to, to go out. I just sat back down and just asked him to give me a minute. I mean, it's just, it's hard because this is our first home and we are coming up on our one-year anniversary and it's just, you don't expect that kind of trial in your first year of marriage, but we are so blessed because there are a lot of people who lost family and all my family's fine and this is just material and we'll be fine. Yeah. Alright, I think I'm pretty good. Grab the other side, bud. Grab the other side, bud. Several of these people who are here have had damage to their homes. They may not have lost their entire home, but they're here. What we saw is a spirit of, of Jesus Christ in people's hands and people's feet. They wanted to get here. They wanted to help minister to people. There are people who have been here 17, 18 hour days since Monday morning, and they just want to be able to minister to people. The heart of Forest Park Baptist Church has been minister to people in the name of Jesus Christ. It enables us to hold hands with the neighbor who is six blocks down the street from us and enable us to be able to say, you are in our neighborhood, we're here to help you out. Um, that feels good. And I believe that our church, uh, our church people, the people you see behind me now, they're enjoying that opportunity to be able to minister with their neighbors. People of Joplin, Missouri are fellow ants with us in the shoebox. And right now, many of them are struggling. Many of them might even be questioning God. And he has made us his representatives to be his hands and feet, to come alongside of them in humility and to reassure them that God loves them and cares for them, that he sees the bigger picture of their life and he has not abandoned them. Does your cell phone company not make any sense to you? I got no hope for you. Does God not make sense to you? I have a lot of hope for you. Trust him. Trust him that he loves you. He cares for you. He wants to be in a relationship with you. He sees the bigger picture of your life and he guarantees that if you align your life to his plan, 
your story will end beautifully. Your story will end beautifully. But you have to trust him. Don't let the view from the shoebox overwhelm you, but rather trust in the God who sees it all from above. And be reminded of how wildly crazy in love he is with you. Get to know him, and you won't be angry with him. We have no right to be angry with God. He is our source of strength. He is our redeemer, and our God, and our friend. And all of the church said,